We're recording now. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hello. That was one of those fun intros where, yes. you know, we don't know when, when it's going to start. Are we recording? Because Ashley had this look on her face. Like, I don't know if I'm hitting the button. What's happening? Uh, uh, this is Michael and Ashley. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening, you selected to listen to About a Dog. And we thank you for that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, COVID uh, hasn't slowed us down. No. Um, well, I mean, it sort of stemmed in the summer, but we're back. Moderately. Moderately. I mean, I think, honestly, I don't think we can conti- completely lay this at the feet of no. uh, of COVID. I mean, it is a large contributing factor, but life is also a, a, yeah. a worthy adversary. Yeah, life is a factor. Many, 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 many other things as well. But we've discussed that already. Why yeah. beat a dead horse? It's on the ground. Let it go. Yeah. Um, do we want to do any, like... New business? Yeah. Or cover old business? Yeah. So, for those... Jesus, I'm at a VKC meeting. <laughs> <laughs> we have any old business, new business? Do we have a meeting for us? Anywho. I... Okay. Um, well, we've already posted on social media in regards to this, but we'll just go ahead and make yeah. it public knowledge that we've... After multiple scans, we yep. have found that unfortunately, Celine is empty. There are no no, no puppies, no puppies no in there. So, so for those of you that have listened to our rare breeder struggle, yeah. I think we discussed what was going on, and we now have a resolution, and that resolution is no puppies. Yeah. It sucks. It's a the worst part of it was not knowing, but at the same time, it's equally gutting now that we do know. Right. Because it means all of this buildup, all of this excitement, all of this stress was almost for nothing. I mean, I learned I learned some things. Um, I will go ahead and name names at this point. Um, I put a lot of it at the feet of... Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm just sitting there going, so who are we talking about? It's like, I know now <laughs> who we're talking about. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Um, go ahead and get that Greyhound fired up. We're going to go ahead and, and drive that over yeah. some people. They are, they are already well aware. Yeah. And I've been very open about this. If you were friends um, with me on social, social media. Social media. Um, Sires on Ice Norway... I lay a lot of this failure at their feet Mm -hmm. due to their lack of professional behavior and certain things that would not fly as part of industry standard in the U.S. And make no mistake, strongly worded emails have been sent by Ashley. Yes, they have. I should know. She she reads them to me before I... (laughs) It's true. Whenever we... uh, Proofread. Fun fact. We are each other's proofreaders. If you see something on social media or anywhere like that, chances are we've shown our phone to each other and we're like, yeah, no, fix that, fix this or whatever, and then we post it because each one is authorized and approved by the other. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's funny. But to me, we've learned some things. Yep. Um, we're already putting those practices into use now. Mm-hmm. Um. And we're going to be ready to go for the next time. Uh, yeah, um, I had the um, displeasure. Well, I wouldn't say displeasure, honestly, because for me it wasn't anything bad. It was positive for me because I was removing a daily visual reminder. Yep. Because I've had to do this before for um, a litter of Alice's that didn't come to fruition. Yep. 
and they all died. And to be honest with you, I this is not anything new for me. All I did was just basically take it apart, but also organize it in a way so we know exactly where yeah. to find it because we had a big issue. Uh, big props to um, Kelly, friend yeah. of the show and the podcast. Scarlet Oak Australian Shepherds in Powhatan, Virginia. Okay, shameless plug there. Shameless plug. <laughs> Again, Kelly with? Scarlet Oak uh, Australian Shepherds, Powhatan, Virginia. There you go. Um, she and her husband, uh, Chase is his name? Yeah, it? Chase. He constructed something that looks like it belongs around the perimeter of the Pentagon. This thing is like very industrial. It uh-huh. has survived weather. Um, and it looks to be, I mean, I used to have this bedding on the back of my truck. This resembles it absolutely perfectly. It looks bulletproof, honestly. Well, and it also looks like the stuff that you would make a public bathroom stall out of. <laughs> which is... Just to have the water just, just bead down. Which is perfection in what you want from a whelping box. It is perfect. Because... I would highly recommend Chase for any future endeavors. Because, yeah. I mean, everything they make, is, everything he makes, he repurposes stuff in their home. We've yeah. seen it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It really is. And, I mean, using that kind of material is perfection when it comes to a whelping box because... One of the biggest things that you need to do as part of a breeder yeah. is um, making sure that the puppies are safe from disease and pathogens, and you can easily do that with this material and know that water and stuff is not getting soaked into that material. Yeah, we put that to the test, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's wonderful. Um, but, but yeah, yeah I, that, I took all that apart, mm-hmm. took the vinyl apart, we actually... Um, we may have to share a picture now because there's no mentioning it. Um, we actually had bought these like puzzle, multicolored puzzle pieces flooring. Mm-hmm. And what we did was we had fun after I had done all the removal and everything. We'd put around Celine's crate and Raven's crate because we had moved Raven out during the potential mm-hmm. pregnancy. And they're now like this multicolored puzzle piece flooring. Cards mm-hmm. <laughs> to. You know, it just it just looks like a kid's room, especially considering Raven likes to spill water and did last night. And so the that new puzzle piece flooring is came in handy, handy. already. Yep. <laughs> so I think that's pretty much it for business. Any any, stuff. any new new business? Yeah. But yeah, we now have uh, two locations to potentially go to in the event of a zombie apocalypse. There's Cracker Barrel. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to actually sit down in a restaurant after COVID and just take a look around. There are weapons everywhere. Yeah. And then there's Kelly's house. <laughs> yeah. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> All I'm going to say is we'll be very safe. Yes. You get the pun. Yes. Not everybody gets the pun, but you get the pun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Kelly, you're listening, you get the joke. Um, so, let's dive in. New business, yes. What, what are we talking about today? Please, do tell. So... In case you couldn't hear, I put my elbows on the table, and my chin is in the palms of my hand, and I'm waiting to hear. Yep. <laughs> We're going to cover the Airedale Terrier. Airedale. Mm -hmm. Airedale. Airedale. This sounds like like a flight squadron for Dale from from Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, honestly. But go ahead and correct me. Yeah. They're known as the King of Terriers. Oh, dear. Kemper needs to know there's a king? Yeah. Oh, that poor guy. He's going to be crushed. Yep. They're known as the King of Terriers because of their size and their versatility. Mm-hmm. They are the largest of all the terriers and originated in the Valley of Air in England. Airedale. Yeah. Valley of Air. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they originated from a cross of the Old English Terrier, which is now an extinct breed. Oh. Otterhound. Mm-hmm. 
and many other unknown dogs of a terrier-type origin. Mm. And it is, and I know I've already said it before, they are one of the most versatile terriers in the entire terrier group. I dare you to come at me, Uh Amstaff and Pitbull people. In case you guys didn't hear that, that was the gauntlet that was just dropped down there. Yeah, Airedales are far more versatile than Amstaffs and Pitbulls. So, anywho. (laughs) And here's why. They are the only terrier to be approved to compete in hunting trials Mm -hmm. and gun dog field trials, flushing bird in an upland game. In retrieving it in water. Okay. They are approved and can earn a field champion title, which is something that no other breed in the Terrier group can do. You already know where my head is, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm at the dock right now, and it's like, dead bird, dead bird, and the dog jumps. <laughs> yep. It was Odin, I think, was the name of that dog? I think so. Yeah. But this breed, and the reason why that they can do that mm-hmm. is they were developed to hunt both Game with fur, yeah, and feathered game, fur and feather. Yep. So the farmers in the 19th century in England needed a dog that could take care of vermin, mm-hmm. the fur, yeah, around the farm, and you know get all of the mice and all of that stuff, yeah, and also help hunt birds so that the farmer could feed their family. It makes it sound like it's very versatile because it's also yeah. it's a ratter as well as you know mm-hmm. getting game and that sort of thing. Yeah, but. That also tells you that they need to work, have the ability to, to work independently, mm-hmm. to go out and hunt and kill the vermin. Right. And also work with the hunter to go out and retrieve the birds, flush the birds, all of that stuff. It's very, very unique in the terrier world because usually you don't get both. Yeah, you, usually you get, terriers can be very myopic, and they just focus on one topic. And yeah, go. and you usually get terriers that have such high drive and are just like, oh my god, it's a rat, must kill, 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 kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these guys, they're not like that. They're the exception, not yeah. the rule. And size-wise, they're classified as a medium-sized mm-hmm. breed. They should never be more than 23 inches at the withers, which is the point, the highest point of the shoulder blade. Right. With females being slightly smaller. Shoulder braids, uh, just to be clear, they're at the front yep. of the dog as yeah. opposed to the rear. Yeah. And so, to put things into perspective... Please. For you... Oh, thank you. And anyone who is yeah. probably not as knowledgeable as you. 23 inches at the shoulder is just a touch taller than Rolo. Mm-hmm. But they are actually slighter in build. Okay. So, weight-wise, they're classified as medium. Mm-hmm. Height-wise, they could be classified as large, depending on who you talk to. Well, let's face it. Considering they're somewhat of a multitasking breed, mm-hmm. they would have to be very well in shape. Yeah. I mean, this can't are. be a dog that can just, you know, I'll just sit down and watch TV. I'm no. bored. No, this has to be an active dog. Yeah. And so there are two types of wiry-coated or vermin-killing terriers. Mm-hmm. There are go-to-ground, and then there's above-ground vermin-killers. Yeah. So, go-to-ground terriers are breeds like the Cairn Terrier, West Highland White Terrier, Scottish Terrier, even some evidence of Teddy Roosevelt's, mm-hmm. Border Terriers. Those are your go-to-ground. They go down into the burrow and go in, and usually they are also... Some people call them saddlebag terriers. Like, uh, oh, because that's what they fit in? 
Yeah, so like <laughs> Norfolk and Norwich Terriers are yeah. true saddlebag terriers where they were bred to just hang out in the saddlebags on the fox hunter. Mm-hmm. And so when the foxhounds would drive the game to the den, the yeah. terriers would go in after it. Right. Now, Airedales are above ground, so they fit in with Kerry Blue Terriers, Soft Coated Wheaton Terriers, Rat Terriers. I was wondering when we were going to get to them. Yeah, American Hairless Terriers. They fit into that where they go into barns and areas like that would have like crops and things like that right. and take care of a vermin problem. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that the go to ground terriers can't do the same thing. Right. But Airedales are just too damn big to fit into a fox den. Because if memory serves these terriers that go to ground, essentially their tails are such so that we mm-hmm. can find them and kind of use it as a handle to pull them out. Yeah, it's a last di- so that tail for the go to ground yeah. is very, very, very sturdy at the base. Yeah. And so if you see people at a dog show lifting a go to ground terrier mm-hmm. from the root of the tail yeah and the chest it is not hurting the dog let me repeat again go go ahead but it is not hurting the dog just a just a rule of thumb for if you're at a dog show at all and you see a handler or someone who is presenter or anything like that actually handling their dog or disciplining their dog trust me i know this from experience because someone not nice yelled at me don't say anything yep just leave well enough alone. It's just like if you see uh, uh, one parent disciplining a child in a grocery store. That's their child. Mm-hmm. Let it go. But not your circus, not your monkeys. That's what I often say. Now, the difference here is this tail is used to be as a last-ditch effort because it's usually the last thing you see mm-hmm. while they're going into the hole. So they're designed to be pulled upward. Mm-hmm. You should never, ever, 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 ever see... Ever? So, yes, ever. <laughs> see someone carrying the dog by the root of the tail and the chest for long distances. Yeah, no. It is generally left for, and it's done so that the judges can have an idea that that tail can still be pulled on. Kind of like form and function, basically. Yes. And it's done, they do it from the table to the ground. That's and, it. And... They would kind of have to do it, considering there's a breed standard that the judge has to focus on anyway, right? And you you can also see some judges do that. Yeah. And they'll do it as part of their examination, where they will actually lift the root of the tail up mm-hmm. so that they can see that the dog does not cry in pain. Yeah. Because they need that dog's tail to be sturdy and functional. Yeah. But back to Airedales. Yes. Back to the main topic at hand. Airedales have been around since the 18th or 1800s Mm -hmm. slash 19th century. The Airedale Terrier, though, gained popularity and notoriety for one of the coolest things ever, but also also definitely cruel. Cool and cruel. Hmm. This sounds like a lot of the jokes that I don't tell on the show. (laughs) They're good, but they're also bad. And my arm gets sore immediately afterwards, usually from either you or somebody else. They became popular in the 1920s after what happened in World War One. Okay. Lieutenant Colonel Edwin Hauntonville Richardson. That sounds English. It is. Okay. Was the primary reason for Airedales gaining such a remarkable reputation in World War One? Mm-hmm. 
he would go up and down the English countryside and ask for people to volunteer their dogs to be trained to serve for the crown. Hmm. He preferred Airedales. For whatever reason, they worked best. And this breed served in a multitude of reasons. And what they did is they were even used by the Red Cross. They would have a little vest on with bandages and all these things. Yeah. And they would take the medical supplies out to the injured soldiers and medics to help treat and find injured soldiers on the battlefield. Right. Um, they would help carry medical supplies ammunition and things like that whatever from, was needed yeah, yeah. from one place to another they would also carry messages and this has a weird doctor who reference oh they even had specially made Airedale gas masks that they would wear on their face and kind of are you my mommy are such- you my mommy yes they had little air ma- like gas masks and stuff thank god that wasn't in the episode you'd have nightmares yeah <laughs> so they were also sentries and guard dogs while they're in the trenches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's even one amazing story where an Airedale saved an entire battalion that was cut off from the rest. Interesting. That dog was named Jack, mm-hmm. and his heroism saved the, saved a lot of lives, even though he became mortally wounded in the process. Mm. And so that's what I mean by the cruel aspect is a lot of people on both sides were using dogs to serve in the war. It is rather clever if you think about it. It is. I mean, especially if you're using a dog for the the multitude of options because, I mean, think about it. A Jeep, a vehicle, man-made vehicle that's easy Mm -hmm. to find, easy to detonate, and you could lose soldiers. Um, Not to sound cruel towards dogs. I love dogs. Don't get me wrong. But dogs are sleeker. Mm-hmm. They're smaller. faster, and they get along, you know, more readily with humans, and are more willing and capable to to mm-hmm. reach out and do that sort of thing. And, yeah, and, and instead of having, it's to, very clever. Yeah, and instead of having to carry loads of gas and diesel fuel or whatever to fuel the jeeps and whatnot, right? They would just be fed off of table scraps. Yeah, and they would go just fine. And they also continued to be war dogs into World War Two. So, after World War One, they became incredibly popular. Yeah. But their popularity, rightfully well, so. This is mildly ironic, actually. Mm-hmm. Most of the breeds we've talked to talked about up to this point have, because of a war, been decimated or yep. lost to time. Yep. This, this one, it seems to have been preserved because of war. <laughs> yes. And because of those amazing stories... Mm. Now, I will go ahead and tell you our sources, because I totally forgot to mention that up front. Our Normally we don't do that up front. Normally we do it after the fact. Eh, whatever, but I'll go ahead and get this okay. out of the way. Get it done. Do your bibliography. Off you go. So, our primary sources are Airedale T- Club of America's website, AKC website, and an amazing article that we will link in the description of the podcast. Well, it's going to be tough to post on Twitter. From the BBC. And it's all about dogs of war, and they go in-depth into the training patterns and stuff that Lieutenant Colonel uh, Richardson did, mm-hmm. and the Airedales, and it also has photos of said Airedales and gas masks. Does it have the story that you mentioned in yes, regards it does. to Jack? Okay. Yes, it does. Okay. So that's why we're not going into detail right yeah. now. If you want to, you know, like yeah. we always say on the show, do your homework. Yep. Now, Airedales also have a link 
to about a dog in general. Do tell. My mother had an Airedale. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. This is why you asked her about this yesterday. <laughs> yes, I did. So, my mom had an Airedale. His name was Ryan. Mm-hmm. And this was back in the 1970s mm-hmm. when my mom lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Right. And Ryan and Ryan was incredibly loyal and had just this cute little scruffy face that my mom loved. Mm-hmm. And they adored one another. Now... Ryan, something happened, he got lost or whatever, Mm. and my mom was frantically searching for him, did all of the missing dog flyers and stuff, all that you could do in the 1970s. Basically. When there was no internet. Yeah. And someone found him. And and this was also pre-microchip, everything. Holy crap. Yeah. Someone found him, saw the poster, called my mom. My mom had an affinity for... Um, Datsun Z cars, the little sports cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so she picked him up. He was dirty and covered in mud. (laughs) And as soon as she picked him up, he saw her Mm -hmm. and happily jumped in the back of that sports car. Mm -hmm. And my mom just sobbed. So that's a true testament to the Airedale nature. And the bond. Yes, and the bond. And my mom to this day has a thing for breeds that have a scruffy face Mm. and like if if my mom was ever in the market for a breed i would probably go maybe airedale or something along those lines because it's something that she's used to and something that she has really fond memories of now airedales today Mm-hmm. are relatively uncommon and are preserved by responsible breeders for the most part. And the the responsible breeders are doing what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. health testing, showing confirmation, making sure that they still hold to that versatility. Mm-hmm. However, there has been a trend to breed Airedales in fad colors that don't, and just don't fall for it. Now, is this like colors that you don't find in nature, like that the pinkest pink? <laughs> no, 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 no. The no, blackest no. black, something like that? So, Airedale Terriers come in two colors. Okay. They come in black and tan or grizzle and, grizzle and tan. And what grizzle is is kind of like gray hairs mm. flecked in with the black. This so. sounds like my hair. <laughs> no, it's a little bit more gray than that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> wow. Usually you're like pointing out all my gray hairs. Yeah. And... No other colors are permissible within the breed. Mm. It's black and tan or grizzle and tan. Mm -hmm. Some people on the internet are breeding supposed purebred solid black or solid red Airedales. Mm. The solid color Airedales are not able to be registered as Airedales by the AKC. And how you know this is with every breed... The parent club puts colors that are registrable, and they have their own identifiable code. So, like, for Hamiltons, there's one color, and it's tricolor. Tri-color. Yeah. If your dog is not tricolor... It's not a hammy. It's, it's not a hammy, and you cannot register it as a hammy. Hmm. Same rule applies for Airedales. If it is not black and tan or grizzle and tan, you cannot register it as an Airedale. Hmm. What is 
interesting about these, so to speak, solid colored Airedales mm -hmm. are that they are much larger than the breed standard of 23 inches. Mm. And that's also a clue that tells you that somewhere down the line, they are not purebred Airedales. Right. And people that are marketing as rare colors mm -hmm. avoid. Yeah. Regardless of the breed. Yeah. Just it, in general. In general. And a lot of times there are reasons behind a breed club saying we're not going to allow, for example, the dilution of black, which is blue. Yeah. Because it can cause, in certain breeds, it can cause health problems. Right, yeah. Um, and for Airedales, they've never been in any other color than black and tan or grizzle and tan. Mm -hmm. And the, the solid colors indicate that something was crossed in and maybe a five-generation pedigree now mm -hmm. shows pure breeding. Right. But I bet you, if you go back, there will be some blank spots on that pedigree mm. that tells you that there was something not right there. Yeah, something, something wrong here. So don't fall for that scam. Right. And more than likely, these Airedale, these supposed Airedale breeders are not doing health tests, are not titling their dogs. I mean, because they can't. It's possible they're just in it for the money, basically. Yes. And that is something that you should avoid. Hmm. Because they're not true breeders. Breeders are your allies. They're your advocates. They're not... They would want to advance the breed. Yeah. And they would want to see you succeed in regards to whatever it is you have involved for mm -hmm. your your particular Airedale. So, you know, once again, do, do your, your homework. homework. And as a breed, versatility is still that hallmark for the breed. Mm -hmm. They do it all. Yeah. They excel at agility, obedience, rally, hunt trials, field trials, barn hunt, dock diving, service dog work, and basically anything asked of them. Mm. So to me, like if somebody were to tell me what breed would you closely compare them to for versatility, mm -hmm. I know it's a cliche for us, but I would actually compare them a lot to hammies. I actually saw this one coming, if yeah, I'm because considering the have, versatility yeah, of the breed. It's that yeah. versatile nature. Mm-hmm. And the breed is also incredibly hardy. And their coat is a testament to that as well. Mm. It's a wiry coat, and it protects them from the elements. They have this soft, dense undercoat, mm. and then these wiry guard hairs yeah. that basically say to all the debris and stuff, you're not coming in here, <laughs> and get off. You're not welcome here. No. <laughs> and for many people... They think that dogs with a wiry coat is a challenge when it comes to grooming. But in many aspects... <laughs> if you want a challenge in grooming, get yourself an Afghan or a Clumber. Have fun. Yeah. I mean, there are many other breeds that are... If you want a terrier and you want a challenge in grooming... Yeah. Soft-coated Wheaton Terrier, uh, Kerry Blue Terrier, and Bedlington Terrier. Especially mm. the Bedlington. Have fun. Have fun doing their ears and making them look like little lambs. Enjoy. I think I knew someone who developed uh, uh, what I already have in my hands. The, um... Oh, crap. What is it called? 
No, that's not what it's called. Um, t- uh, syndrome, something. To carpal tunnel. Carpal tunnel syndrome. Yeah, carpal tunnel syndrome. Just from bathing in Af- Aston, has decided to join the podcast. Hi, buddy. Not being the center of attention, he's decided to try to become the center of attention in this episode. Yep. It's not about you, boy. It's about a dog. Yep. Not a cat, even though you think you're a dog. Yeah. Now, but back to the wiry coat grooming and all of that stuff. If you start them young and keep it maintained either by yourself or a competent groomer. And the reason why I say that. Because we know some incompetent groomers. Yeah, we do. When I say competent, you need to ask the questions of, are they ever going to put electric clippers on your dog? Yeah. The wiry coat, if you are going to show them, should never yeah. be touched with electric clippers because it can damage the wiry coat and the texture of it. And if it's done properly by either yourself or a groomer and maintained, mm-hmm. they rarely shed. Wow. Yeah. Hello. And even gonna... even during the whole seasonal thing where mm-hmm. you know fall into winter, winter into spring, and then summer, there's no like coat shedding for a winter coat, summer coat, anything like that. No, and that's that's how it is for a lot of the wiry coated breeds, and I'll explain why in a minute. Yeah. But let's let's get to that in a minute. I'm gonna touch on a little bit of a controversial topic. Okay. And we're going to devote a raw tidbit to this later. Yeah. But I want to just go ahead and say this. In the U.S., Canada, and other countries where it isn't banned, the Airedale Terrier tail is traditionally docked. Ah. The tail is docked at the perfect description of a fair length. It's literally what it says. Okay, I, 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 I get a couple notions came into my head. You know, there's, you know, um, you know, the fair with, like, the, you know, carnival and things like that. Or, yeah, no. You know, fair length. Wee! And I doubt that's what it is. No. And it's just very ambiguous. And generally, trust your breeder. They know what they're doing. They mm. know how to do the length. They know the standard. Yes. And in some breeds, they will actually specify the number of vertebrae to mm-hmm. dock it at. Yeah. So I think like Doberman, it's three. So they will actually feel the puppy's vertebrae that need to be left. But with Airedales, it's not the case. I just tried to feel Aston's vertebrae. <laughs> <laughs> He's and sitting right here on the table. How could I, I not? And But the main point of it is the Airedale tail can have a tendency to curl over the back. Mm-hmm. And so it's docked to keep it at a very... Um, alert um, position and carriage of the tail. Yeah. Now, in other countries that have banned docking, Mm -hmm. the Airedale Terrier will be long and you will see a variety of tail carriages due to that tail not being docked. I've seen tails that are just a little bit too long Mm -hmm. and they carry it you can almost tell exactly where that docking should have happened. Right. And then others where it actually will literally curl over the back. And that's technically not correct. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, because docking has been banned, they're giving more leniency on the tail mm-hmm. than they really should be. Because the standard says not carried over the back and not touching the back and all of that stuff. That standard still needs to be applied. Yeah. Um, They're called standards for a reason, people. Yeah. 
And this is actually a debate, and again, we will cover this in a full episode. Yeah. However. In a full later episode. Yes. The tail ducking process depends on breeder preference, but there is new evidence showing that the best way to dock a puppy's tail is while it is a neonate, meaning freshly born, less than a week old, yeah, and done by a licensed vet that will not cause undue trauma to the puppy as they grow. Right. Because there are other methods of tail docking that some breeders do, and it's called banding, where they literally take a rubber band and it slowly cuts off the blood supply, and then the tail just falls off. Mm-hmm. That is undue trauma. Because yeah. it can sometimes take upwards of two weeks. Yeah, it takes a long time for that to happen. And that's critical time where their nerves and their and their neural processes are being developed. So you want that to be as clean of a slate as possible. Right. So that you can start to develop the puppy as a breeder mm-hmm. into a well rounded dog. Right. And so another thing that they do with Airedales is if you watch Airedales at a show, and I recommend you do it, you can also go on to, um, I think Westminster Kennel Club has videos of Airedale judging Mm -hmm. for their show. Yeah. And they do something that everybody needs to see if you love dogs. It's called sparring. Okay. And sparring in the ring, it sounds kind of like boxing. It very much does so. That's something they do to practice. Right, but they don't touch each other, and the whole point of the spar is to have two dogs face each other, mm-hmm. and neither one back down to the other. Wow. And not all terriers are sparred, mm. and it is never done in a way to That's show... violent or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, to show any sort of aggression. And, in fact, if any sort of aggression is shown by the dogs during sparring... They'll yeah. just put a stop to it immediately. No, they're immediately excused from oh, the ring. Oh, worse. Yeah. So you, I was right, but they just take it one step further. Yeah. It is not to start a fight. Mm-mm. The whole point is to show the natural attitude and determination. And some and, and something that is innate to a lot of these terriers is attitude. Mm-hmm. When you look at a terrier, you should see a fire burning in their eyes. Yeah. It should be, it should kind of light you up when you look at them Mm -hmm. where they just do not back down and they are ready to go. Yeah. And that's the whole point of the spar is to make sure that that attitude is still there. Mm -hmm. But in other breeds that aren't sparred, there are other ways that you can still see that. All terriers should have terrier attitude. Mm -hmm. All of them. We're going to get to the grooming part. Okay. When I said that a competent groomer, competent groomer would never put clippers on them, Yeah. here's why. Okay. Many wire-coated breeds are groomed in a way that's known as hand stripping. And it is a way that a lot of people think is tedious. Yeah. But those that do it, they find it as soothing and therapeutic as people popping bubble wrap. Or pimples. Yeah. And it's basically what it does is you take the coat and as part of regular maintenance, you can just take you can do it by hand mm-hmm. 
or you can take a tool called a stripping knife. I think I've seen you do this. Yes. And you can just you roll the coat up, see if there's any dead hairs, and you just gently pull. Mm. And that's the shedding process. You're helping the shedding process along. Right. And if you don't, the coat will just build up on top of each other. Yeah. And it, they'll end up looking really fluffy. Yeah. Instead of a sleek looking athlete. Mm-hmm. And you really just need to make sure that that wire coat and that wiry texture is there and maintained. Yeah. yeah. But that also means you don't bathe them a lot. Mm-hmm. And you have to maintain it. Because yeah. if you don't, you're looking at a 12-week process from start to going into the show ring to get them ready. Oy. Yeah. And when using a stripping knife, mm-hmm. you actually should never use a fresh stripping knife. Mm-hmm on a terrier coat or a coat like Hamilton's because it does the same thing as electric clippers. Mm-hmm. And same deal with a Furminator. Furminators are way too sharp mm-hmm. to go on certain breeds. Way too sharp, and it ends up cutting the coat. Yeah, or worse, the dog. Yeah. So what you need to do, and some handlers, you can talk to them. They'll tell you the best way to do it. Because it's never the same for the same breed. No. And they'll tell you. They'll tell you the size of stripping knife to get. Mm-hmm. They'll even tell you the brand. And then they'll tell you their trade secrets mm-hmm. on how to beat the living shit out of one. So that you dull it before you use it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some people... You're referring to the blade, not the dog. Just right. to be clear. Yeah, the blade. <laughs> Some people will, like, use it on wood mm-hmm. to just, like, chop away at the, the sharpness. Other people will literally just shove the brand new blade in the ground and let it sit for a couple of days. Yeah. To just each to, their own? Jeez. Yeah. And each one has their own preference. I just bought this. Stick it in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I bought this piece of metal that cost me maybe 30 plus dollars. <laughs> Stick it in the ground. <laughs> But Will others grow from it? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it is whole, not a seed. No, but the whole point is if you maintain the wiry coat... It's to your benefit, yes. especially if it's going to be entering the show ring. Yeah, the easier it is. Yeah. Maintenance is easier than starting new. Yeah. Now. Now. Big question. I think I already know what your answer is going to be. Would you own one? Um, considering its versatility, and I, I, I mean, the mentality is is what exactly? Does it have high energy, or is it similar to what we already have? It's very similar to what we already have. Mm. Basically, think of our hammies. You're right. Ready to do whatever. You know, easily ready to lay on the couch or go outside and go for a run or whatever. But with Penny's attitude. Oh, fuck. Um... <laughs> Penny's our Teddy Roosevelt Terrier. She's a bottle rocket. Yeah, though. she's a bottle rocket. But, but I mean, she, for me, she's you know just she she aims to please exactly, a lot. Exactly. But imagine having that look and that mm, fire, yeah. and determination that Penny has, yeah, and put that into a bigger dog. A bigger dog. I to be honest with you, I I 
would not say no, I don't think. Mm-hmm. It would be something that would be interesting. I mean, now keep in mind, it, this is a different dog breed, so I'm not entirely sure mm-hmm. how compatible it's going to be. Goodness, mm-hmm. Joe's, Jones was an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think this would be worth exploring. Okay. I, I, would, I would own an Airedale. What about you? So, for me, it's definitely a yes. It's, I, I, yeah. I had a feeling it would yeah. be, yeah. And when I was doing research, like everybody should do, do your homework, homework. Um, for breeds that I would mind, I wouldn't mind to have as a second breed or something that I could take into a show ring or whatever. Yeah, into an AKC show ring because you know Hamilton's they're not fully recognized. Not so fully you can't recognized. go in the AKC show ring. I get it. So I had I had a list. And they ran the gambit of various different breeds. Right. And I was like, all right, so let me look at breeds from each group, narrow it down into a couple. And when you're referring to the group, you're referring to the groups for Westminster and things like that. Yeah. And so like terrier, hound, sporting, non-sporting, herding, toy, all of that. I immediately struck off non-sporting and toy because they just don't appeal to me. Toys are too small. Yeah. (laughs) Non-sporting, nah, no thanks. Um, but, and Hound, I was like, eh. Been there, done that. We already have them, so, yeah. meh. So that left Terrier, Sporting, and Herding. Herding, yeah. And when I was looking at the Terrier group, I had two breeds narrowed down. Mm-hmm. And one of them was an Irish Terrier. Mm-hmm. Another long-legged Terrier. Yeah. And the other one was the Airedale. Gotcha. And... Part of it has to do with the people that I know that are in the breed mm-hmm. already. Yeah. There's a wonderful breeder mm-hmm. local to us. Right. Um, and there's a couple of wonderful terrier handlers. And, and that's the part that kind of scares the shit out of me. Okay. Is the terrier group by far is one of the most competitive groups in the AKC show ring. Hmm. It is just filled with professional handlers, hmm. which I don't mind competing to against. Each their own. To each their own. To if each you, own. If you've got the money for it, go have fun. You do you. But the success of them is generally the wiry-coated breeds hmm. and... I mean, Airedales are pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Norfolk Terriers, Wire Fox Terriers, Smooth Fox Terriers. Those are probably the most successful and in the ribbons, sort of speak, of group placements and all of that. That means, one, if you're going to get one and you want to show it, it better be from a damn good kennel. Right. Especially in the Mid-Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for me, that was kind of... I would love to have one. Yeah. But I would need a lot more money and a lot more time on my hands. Maybe a little bit more space, too. Eh, no, I mean, space. the space, to me, is not really a concern. Okay. It's the money and time on my hands because I know that with the competitive nature of the breed that I would have, and the competitive nature of the group, that I would have, it would be a lot more difficult than mm-hmm. some of the other breeds that I was considering. Um... So essentially, now, you need to train to be at the top of your game, basically. Exactly. Mm. Now, 
if you want to see an Airedale and you want to see sparring take place, mm-hmm. which I suggest everyone needs to see it at one point, and we will show a photo of sparring terriers. It's, mm. it's gorgeous. But you only see it from a photo. You can't really get the idea of just how awesome they look and how focused they are. The shows that you can go to, COVID permitting. <laughs> stay safe, everybody. Yeah, stay safe. Westminster, mm-hmm. AKC National Championship, um, the Airdale Club of America's National Specialty. They have also a roaming national specialty where it goes various places. Montgomery County Terrier Specialty Show. Mm-hmm. You'll see a shit ton of terriers and you'll see a lot of them sparring. It's amazing. And um, one that actually got postponed due to COVID, but will hopefully be happening next year, is a show that only takes place every five years, and it's called Morrison Essex. Yeah, I think we've mentioned this before. Um, It's in New Jersey, and it's craziness. You're required to wear a hat and look all, like, posh and shit. Oh, like, we're talking, like... uh, Kentucky Derby. Kentucky Derby type stuff, yeah. But go in the ring wearing that. No. (laughs) I'm not going in the ring on the top hat. Um, Mostly because I don't have one. But on the West Coast, Beverly Hills um, Kennel Club, um, the Rose International, like, there's like a Rose cluster in Washington or Oregon. One of those two, I can't remember. But Animal Planet used to air those shows. And then for South would be um, the Houston series of mm-hmm. Houston World Series of dog shows. Right. Um, for Midwest ish, it would be um, uh, International Kennel Club of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also try and see it at the National Dog Show or Kennel Club of Pennsylvania. Right. Or also known as Oaks. You can try and see it there. Um, it depends on the numbers and whatnot, whether yeah. it happens. Because you wouldn't spar on, like, an entry of five dogs. Mm-hmm. You would spar on an entry of, like, 20 or 30 yeah. to weed out which ones based on temperament. So, so would it be, like, if you have a number like that, would it be, like, turnout style? These two pit together, no, no, this no, no, one no, no, advances, no. that one leaves, that sort no, of thing? No, What you would do, more than likely on a judging scenario, you would have, say you have, like, a class of, like, seven or eight dogs. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out who you want to be as your one, two, and three. Mm. You'll pull out, or one, two, three, and four. You'll pull out two dogs, spar, mm-hmm. see what they look like, and as the the temperament would probably be the final push to push it over the edge. Right to determine so. which whether or not this is going to be part of your one, two, and three or not. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, for once, Michael and I actually we agree. Yeah, we agreed that we would we would own one. Also, I've also noticed that you've sworn a lot more than I have in this episode. You said at least shit three times. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm usually the potty mouth. I know. <laughs> so, with that, um, rate, review, subscribe, all that jazz. Indeed. And we, we appreciate any and all assistance. And if you want to help um, help us to advance the breed that we have, you know, there reach is there, there are options. Yeah, you reach know. out. Um, we have email, mm-hmm. uh, aboutadogpod at gmail. Uh, the Instagram, which Ashley's in charge of, uh, at About a Dog Pod. Mm-hmm. Um, I handle the Twitter at About a Dog One. And Facebook, we are fairly active on Facebook, and that's 
um, facebook.com slash about a dog pod. Yeah. And um, thank you everyone for listening. We really, 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 really appreciate it. it yeah, very much so. Um, it helps. It, it you know, because when we're just sitting here talking to a microphone, I mean, we're just, you know, talking, but actually seeing that people are listening is actually mm-hmm. very beneficial. So we really do appreciate you. Yes. And if we want more people to listen to the show, especially non-dog people, like non-dog show people. Because now, I'm, I don't consider myself, I'm only a dog show person by affiliation. Yes. You know, I'm I'm in a relationship, in for a penny, in for a pound, so I'm kind of in this. Yeah. But, you know, I try to you know bring my own outside perspective into it, as, you know, quirky as it is. So. But, yeah, they, yeah. they, may, they may like it. Yeah, but the only way to do that, to help the algorithms and stuff like that, yeah. is to rate, review, subscribe. True. So, please, 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 please. Please do so. Do that. Yeah, we okay. greatly appreciate it. Oh, so, and uh, go hug your dog. They love you. They really do. Yep.